Hey, if you're joining us right now, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're starting a brand new series tonight. Um, it's our winter series that we begin just after our anniversary. And um, I've got my wife here who I always ask to pray when we start a new series. I believe that um, every series is so important. Um, and so I asked Mel to come and pray. So here you go, Mel. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we want to lift up uh, our new 12-week series to you in the book of Exodus. Um, Lord, as you guided the Israelites for 40 years, Lord, I pray that through these next 12 weeks that you would really guide us to know you more, to really understand who you are, that you are our God and that you are a good God, that you are um, slow to anger and abounding in love, that God, you are truly merciful to your people and you long to be in relationship with us. You long for us to trust you and love you and walk uh, with you daily and moment by moment. Um, so, Lord, I pray that, yeah, that we would draw closer to you and that you would draw even closer to us, that you would remind us that we are your people and that we are yours, Lord, um, collectively as a church, but individually as well, Lord, that you are, you love our church and you love the church, but you also love us individually and you care for us um, uh, personally, Lord, and intimately. So, Lord, we just really lift up this series to you. We pray that you'll bless it. We pray that you'll really anoint Pastor Steve through this series, that you he would really just be able to preach uh, faithfully to us um, and that, yeah, that your word would be received with great joy in our hearts. Um, so, Lord, would you be glorified and would you be worshipped throughout this series? And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, honey. We're going to begin with a video. Let's talk about the book of Exodus. Now, you're probably familiar with this book because of the epic story of Moses leading Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Yeah, but that's just the first half of the book. The second half has Moses giving the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these blueprints for making a sacred tent. Now, right here in the middle is the story that connects these two halves together, and it all takes place at the foot of a famous mountain. Okay, so let's start... Back at the beginning. So the first thing we have to remember is we're continuing the story from Genesis. Yeah, in Genesis, God promised Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. When Exodus begins, 400 years have passed. The family grows and becomes the people group now called Israel. But there's this huge problem because the Israelites are enslaved to this king of the Egyptians, a guy called Pharaoh. This guy is really bad news. Yeah, he's horrible. He, he disregards their humanity, he brutally enslaves them, and he even orders that all of the Israelites' sons should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. He wants to wipe these people out. He's the worst character in the Bible so far. Here's where we meet an Israelite woman who wants to save her son. And so she does throw him in the river, but safely in this little reed basket. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes him as her own. And this is the boy who grows up to become Moses, the man who will rescue Israel from slavery. So Moses grows up and one day, much later in his life, he has this crazy encounter with God where he comes across a bush that's on fire but it isn't actually burning up. And God speaks from the bush, and he appoints Moses as the man he will use to deliver Israel. So Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him this, this news that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh, he just 
pretty much laughs at him. <laughs> he's like, Who, who's this god Yahweh? And in fact, he's so offended by this request, he decides to make the Israelites work even harder. So discouraged, Moses goes back to God and says, listen, this plan's not going to work. But God repeats his promise that he's going to rescue them. And in fact, it's right here for the first time in the Bible that we hear the word redemption. It literally just means to purchase a slave's freedom. But God here uses this word to describe what he's going to do for enslaved Israel. And God knows Pharaoh is going to resist, so he sends 10 different plagues, one after another, like turning water into blood, sending all sorts of pests and disease. These plagues are really severe. They are severe, but we need to understand that the story is presenting these as acts of divine justice against one of the worst oppressors in the story of the Bible. And they're all aimed at the purpose of rescuing these enslaved people and defeating the gods of Egypt. This all comes to a climax at the 10th plague, where God's going to kill the firstborn sons across all Egypt. Every house, it's pretty rough. It is, but it's also God's response for how Pharaoh killed the Israelite sons. Now as you turn the page, you suddenly get two long chapters of detailed instructions for what's essentially throwing a dinner party with a recipe for a lamb. Yeah, but this lamb is super important. God tells the Israelites to pick it out and to prepare it to be eaten. And they're supposed to take its blood and then paint it all over the doorframe of their house. And anyone who is in that house will be spared from this final plague. And so this meal, which is called Passover, it commemorates this key moment in the story where God brings his justice on human evil, but also shows mercy by providing this substitute. This final plague makes Pharaoh angry and he demands that Israel gets out of Egypt, which is great. But suddenly as they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind. He has a change of heart. But on top of that, we're also told that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why would God do that? Well, what we need to remember is that over and over in this story, Pharaoh has already chosen to harden his own heart. And so at this point, Pharaoh, he's not just evil, he's become monstrously evil. Even his own advisors think that he has gone way too far. And so how is God supposed to deal with such an extreme form of evil? And what we see in this story is that God uses his power to lure evil into its own destruction. Pharaoh and his army are destroyed in the Red Sea as Israel passes into freedom. And after this, we find the very first song of worship in the Bible, as the people praise God for redeeming them. And it's in this story that the word salvation is also used for the first time, which means simply to be rescued from danger. Now that they're saved, you would think that everything should be great but the story quickly turns. The Israelites start wandering in the desert. They're tired, hungry, lost. And you start to wonder, what's God doing? What were they saved for? And we learn the answer to that question in the very next story, which ties the two parts of this whole book together. All right. That's a great introduction. Um, I just want to shout out to the Bible Project, um, who produces those videos. Um, they're all on YouTube, and, and, and I think they're doing a great work to help people um, understand the Bible, not just through text, but through videos. And so um, I would highly recommend that to you. So we are in the book of Exodus, and over the next 12 weeks, we're going to finish all 40 chapters of the book of Exodus. Now, not just in our um, not just in our Sunday sermons, but in our life groups, but also in in 
um, our daily devotions, we're going to be reading through Exodus. So um, if you haven't already joined us, then join us in our daily devotions, which is on our website as well. Now, a little bit of background. I know the, the story did really well, but a little bit of background. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And actually, it comes in a little bit of a package of, of, of a five-book series that's called the Moses Five. And, and, and we call this the Pentateuch. Now, Moses wrote Exodus within this series of books. So Moses wrote all five of these books, and Exodus is chapter two of this whole series. And that's why we need to understand not just Exodus, but we actually really need to understand all five books and the context of why it was written. Now, the story of Exodus goes like this. In the Bible, um, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, including the people who were created in the image of God. Now, people were created for God's glory and pleasure and for relationship, but man didn't want to be under a God because they wanted to be God themselves. And so they rejected Creator God, and they decided that they didn't need God, that, that they didn't need to be under the Creator, and they could be their own God. And we call that um, not just rejection, but sin. And that sin ruined the perfect relationship that God created for man. In Genesis, God tries again through the story of Noah. And he sends his big flood, kills a whole bunch of people, and he starts again with Noah thinking that hopefully Noah and the people would come back into relationship with him. But we see that that doesn't happen uh, either. And so once again, he starts again um, in Genesis chapter 12, and he starts with this man called Abraham. And he says to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you and I will make you a large nation. Now, Abraham has one son and his name is Isaac. Isaac has two sons and their names are Esau and Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons with the second youngest son being uh, a boy named Joseph. Now, long story short, Joseph ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt and not only saves the Egyptian people during a seven-year famine, but also saves his own people, his own family, from dying of starvation. And then he invites his family to come down to Egypt where he is the prime minister so that they can live their days with food and water. And that's the end of the book of Genesis. And when they come down to Egypt, Joseph's family is numbered at 70. Okay, and that's really important, 70. Now, that 70, while living in the land of Egypt, multiply. And the Bible says that God blessed them and God multiplied them. And they multiply to such a large number. The gap between Genesis the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus is about 400 years, they reckon. 400 years of multiplication. And they become so big that the pharaoh of Egypt, a new pharaoh, becomes insecure. And he gets worried that these um, Israelites, these foreigners, would overrun their country. And so he makes them slaves to the Egyptians. Now, you saw in the video that sometimes we see the picture of Pharaoh as being a little bit more cartoony and whatnot, and I thought that was a really good depiction of who Pharaoh is. And 
and there's a line in there, and it's, he was the most evil man in the Bible since the beginning. And I, I don't think we ever think like that. I, I don't think we ever thought of Pharaoh as being that bad, but he is. And so we find ourselves at the beginning of Exodus, we find ourselves that there are a multitude of God's people living in a foreign land in Egypt, but not as free people, but as slaves. As slaves under this Pharaoh who is the most evil person till now. Now, there's a man that's, gonna be, uh, that's named Moses that God is going to use uh, by God to free God's people from Egypt. And there's this amazing battle scene between God and Pharaoh and these plagues. And we're going to get into that in a few weeks' time. But I don't want to ruin the story, but you should probably already know the story. Is They actually get out of Egypt, which is good. Um, and then they leave Egypt into the desert. And they take some time wandering in the desert. And, and what's going to happen is, and, and I'm really excited about this part, because the first part we talk a lot about usually, but the second part we don't. But it's actually the forming of a nation. It's the forming of a nation. It's the forming of what we call culture. Uh, God's culture. Kingdom culture. And that's where we see um, Mount Sinai. That's where we see the Ten Commandments. That's where we see how the temple and how worship is meant to be done. And through that, God is setting out the culture of God's people. Um, Tonight, we are doing just a bit of an overview. Uh, The word exodus in Hebrew literally means the going out or exit. The whole story of exodus is really simply how God saved his people out of Egypt. Out of Egypt into the promised land. Now, if you want the Disney version, there's a a movie called Prince of Egypt. um, And and that's not a bad movie to watch. Um, I actually haven't seen it, so I don't know how theologically correct it is. Um, But not only that, there are other movies. um, what's What's the latest one? This not got Russell Crowe in it? Is that? No, 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 no. Exodus. It's, it's called Exodus. Very good, Steve. Good, good to have your research done before the sermon. Welcome back, everyone, to church. Not much has changed. But tonight, before we get into the nitty-gritty, right? Before we get into chapter one, and we're going to start that next week. I want us to ask this very important question. And I think it's a question that we sometimes don't really ask when we look at the book of Exodus. And it's this very simple question. Why did God rescue the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, we know he did. We know um, the plagues and we know the the Red Sea being parted. and, And we know about all these things. But why did God do that? Why did God save Moses and use Moses to bring out the people? Why did God bring them out to the wilderness to to set apart this nation? Why did God do what he did? So many times we read or hear about the story of Exodus, but when's the last time you asked the question, why did that happen? Why did God save them? And I believe the answer comes in today's passage which is one of the key passages from Exodus, and it comes from Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. I'm just going to... I'm so used to not being allowed to move (laughs) 
Because when we live stream, there's a, there's a cross here, and I'm not allowed to move off the cross because the framing is there, but I realize I'm allowed to move now. And the guys at the back, they can't do anything about it, so that's good. Oh, that's so good. Now there's like blood running in my legs. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, and it reads this. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Why did God save the Israelites? And the answer is this. It's because they were his people. They were his people. God hears their cries for help. They hear their cries for help. And he answers them by delivering them out of slavery, out of oppression, out of the neighboring enemy country. And not only that, but crushes the enemy, crushes Egypt along the way. Why? Because they belong to him. They belong to him. Now, this week, there was an amazing story down in Victoria of a 14-year-old boy who had autism, who got lost in the middle of a forest. He was lost for nearly 48 hours. And they say that for two nights, it was zero degrees out in that place. Now, if you heard this story, would you have suddenly gone, I'm going to fly down to Victoria to find this boy? And the answer is probably not. Probably not. But there was one person, there was one person that did not sleep till that boy was found, and that was his mum. Not only did she raise the alarm, she got the authorities involved. She begged and pleaded on national TV, and over 400 volunteers came, and they, they swept that forest till that boy was found. Why did this mother... Go out of her way. It's simple. It's because the boy was her son. I tell you, if any of my children got lost in a forest, I would be there. And I would ask all of you to also come down and help me as well. You would be part of that 400. But why? Because... That's my child. That's my son. Most likely it would be one of my sons that got lost in the forest, not my daughter. But yeah, my daughter as well. The boy was of great worth and value to this mother. And the thought of that boy being lost, cold, alone, drove her to do what she did See, one of the things that we're going to learn about God in this series is how personal he is. You know, sometimes we, we think of God as the creator of the world. But God doesn't just sit up in heaven looking down upon his creation. But God is a personal God. He is a personal God. He, come, he, he came down to dwell amongst his creation. For the sake of having personal relationship. God didn't just sit back and watch his people in slavery, but he heard their cries and intervened in their situation. 
Unlike so many other so-called gods that are worshipped in this world, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is not only known in Scripture, but can be known personally. We don't just know about God, but we get to know God. Psalm 23, verse 1. Imagine if Psalm 23, verse 1 read like this. The Lord is a shepherd. I lack nothing. What do we learn? What do we learn about God in this verse is that we learn that God is a shepherd. But this actually isn't the verse. The actual verse is the Lord is my shepherd. Now, you just change that one word, and the meaning of that verse completely changes. The way that we interact with God completely changes, because it's not just, oh, wow, God is a shepherd. God is a protector. God is a provider. He's, he's, he's the creator. No, God is my shepherd. He's my protector. He's my provider. It changes the whole meaning to that verse. Once again, it's not just learning about God, it's learning to know God personally. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Friends, God doesn't just call us children but he calls us his children. A big difference, right? Huge difference. Our God wants to know you and wants to know you personally and wants you to know him personally. Why? Because you belong to him. You belong to him. Psalm 100 verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. God not only made us, he, he didn't just make us for the sake of going, wow, look at that design, look at that creation, look at that. No, but he made us so that we could belong to him. Tonight, as we begin our winter journey in the book of Exodus, know this. If it were you stuck in Egypt as a slave for 400 years, God would come to save you too. Did you know that? It's not just God saved the Israelites in Exodus. It's not just all these amazing stories about how God loves his people in Scripture. No, if it was you, then God would do the same to save you. Why? Because you belong to him. You matter to him. You're not just some kind of artwork on the wall. But he genuinely, genuinely knows you. He knows you personally. And you matter to him and you're valuable to him. 
See, all humanity, we're all slaves to this world because of our sinful nature. We're spiritually dead with no hope for our eternity. But God did not just sit back, but we know that he sent his one and only son, to uh, Jesus, to die on the cross, to save us from our sin, to save us from this slavery. And he did this because you are not just a creature on earth, but because you are his son and you are his daughter. The same God who came to save the Israelites from Egypt is the same God that is wanting to save you because he loves you and you belong to him. Now, sometimes we, we don't understand that part. We belong to God. Sometimes we feel so distant to God. You know? Um, it's, it's like having conversations with kids. I feel like God gave me so many kids because he knew that I just needed so many examples in my sermons. <laughs> But having lots of kids gives me so many different examples and stories to use in my sermons. And I'm so grateful for that now that I think about it. But I remember still this story, and I've shared this before. And We go to the shops and, and my daughter looks at all these toys. And she goes, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. And I said, okay, do you have money? And she looks at me. And she understands the concept that you have to pay for it. And she looks at me and goes, no. I think she would have been maybe four. I said, do you have money to pay for this? And she goes, no. I said, well, how are you going to buy it? She goes, you have money. Now, it's such a funny story, but if you actually think about it, my daughter, nowhere in that conversation, ever doubted ever doubted that we were family. There was nowhere in that conversation where she ever thought, wait a minute, am, is this my dad? Is, is, does he love me? Do I belong to him? No, it, it was her assumption. <laughs> That's how she lives her life, right? She just knows that she belongs to me. Therefore, she, you know, you know my money is, you know, was it her money is my money and my money is my money? Or is it the other way around? Something like that. Anyway, I have no money because I have four kids. You know, like, but she, she just assumes that. It's just ingrained in her mind that because she belongs to her father, what her father has is hers as well. And it's like that with us and God. It's like that with us and God. You know, one of the big things in our church, one of the key words in our mission is belong. Belong to Jesus. That we belong to Jesus, that we belong to the family of God. And I wonder tonight if you understand what it means to belong to God. Now, I'm not saying we do this very well. I'm not saying that all of our lives that we get this right. Because actually, for most of our lives, we live as if we don't belong to God. And actually, we belong either to ourselves or to the world. 
And that's why we don't think about God. That's why we don't acknowledge God. But when you, you know, it's funny, right? We only go to God when we're in trouble. You know, that's our natural tendency, right? We're in trouble. We can't do anything about our life. What, what shall we do? Well, let's go back to the Creator. Let's go back to. But what if you were living that life every day? See, friends, the reason why it's so important for us to understand who we belong to is that that belonging gives us our identity. Like what John 3 said, you know, we are children of God. If we belong to God, if we belong to God, that means we matter to God. We are valuable to God. The way that you look at yourself in the mirror completely changes because it's not just a God. It's not just the God of the Bible, but it becomes my God. It becomes my God. That changes everything. When you pray, think about it. Think about what a prayer would sound like to a non-personal God and to a personal God. Dear God. It's like writing a letter to your local member of parliament. Dear whoever you are, MP. My name is blah, blah, blah. I would like for you to change the way that, you know, the roads are built in our country. It's, there's, there's no relationship. Dear God, my life sucks right now. I would like some money. And I would like to get married. And I think that would make me happy. And if you would like to help me with that, I would be very much thankful and I'll even give some of that money back to the church. That's, that's a prayer of a, a personal God. An impersonal God. But when you pray to a personal God, when you pray to a God that you know you belong to Him, the God, your money is my money. You have money, God. <laughs> you can do miracles, God. You can save my life, God. I'm all yours. It's different. It's different. As we begin this journey, I want you to know that it's going to come up over and over again, this idea of a personal God. And I want to challenge you. If you've lived your life as a Christian as if knowing God was like knowing about Michael Jordan, about knowing the facts about God, and you think that knowing and, and, and knowing about the facts of God is going to make you closer to God. No, 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 no. You, gotta, you can break through that. Our God is knowable. Our God is open to personal relationship because... You belong to him. Now, once again, maybe you've never heard this in your life before. Maybe, or maybe you've heard it so many times. But I want you to hear it once again tonight. You belong to God. You belong to God. Our identity is in our belonging. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to yourself and your own happiness. You don't belong to your husband or your children or your parents. You first and foremost belong to God. That's why. That's why God will pursue you until he finds you. 
That's why God will hear your cries when you pray. That's why God will draw near to you as you draw near to him. He promises that. Because he loves you and he treasures you. And that's why God will fight for you, to deliver you. All because you belong to him. Because he loves you and he made you. I pray that you hear this tonight. Maybe you're struggling with identity. You don't know who you are. Maybe you're struggling with purpose. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety, the uncertainty of tomorrow. Well, friends, God knows. God knows what you're going through. God hears your prayers. And because you belong to him, and because you are valuable to him, he will come and he will save you like he did the the Israelites in Exodus. In the same way, he will come and save you, meet you where you're at. So I pray that over this series, as we get to know more about the character of God, not just, I hope this series doesn't just become about knowledge. And I'm going to do my best because it is a long book. I'm going to do my best to try to compact it down in a way that we can understand. But my goal is that not that you would know more about Exodus by the end of three months. But my goal is that you would be closer to God in relationship at the end of three months. Let's pray.